I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. Tonight's bumper edition, we're talking two games of women's football, and then we're going to be joined later on by the next CEO, David Dome. Um, let's crack on, seeing as we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, first game, uh, the Wahenix taking on Newcastle in Newcastle. Um, gents, I'm joined by Dave, Dale and Cam. Hello, hello. How did we feel about that, apart from... Uh, Rage, because that was that was me all that whole game was just rage. I I caught bits and pieces of this. I was out and about doing some stuff and watching this on my mobile phone, mobile phone, and um, I I was planning to watch quite a lot of it. And every time I kind of turned it on, we'd concede a goal against a team that yeah, and they were just bad goals, and I kept turning it off again. Uh, so yeah, rage was definitely definitely the feeling, rage and disappointment in equal measure. I've just been corrected. David Dome is the GM, not CEO. Sorry, I got my letters wrong. Thanks, Cam. You're most welcome. Um, I didn't actually get to see this game uh, as I was working uh, at the same time. I didn't get home until uh, the game had already finished, and, uh, my, and I've been working pretty much constantly since then. So uh, I have seen none of this one, so I can't really comment at all, unfortunately. I'm glad we cleared that up. Dale? Uh, what what was your overall feeling about this first game against Newcastle? Yeah, I guess frustration, really, I think. I mean, two of their goals were just so, so jammy. Like, the first one, like, um, I can't remember what it was, but they, they line up quite, well, it's quite clearly, quite clearly a shot and just slice it wide and somehow it drifts into the path of, of their winger who's tucking in. Um, and then I think the second one was, wasn't a ball, like, crossed in and, and like, one of the players has taken a big air swing. It's it's fallen off her standing foot and fallen to her again. She's had another shot. It's going straight down the guts of Edwards and I think Taylor puts out a leg and, and it deflects in. So, yeah, I guess kind of frustrating in terms of those those two goals and um, letting a, yeah, a lead tw- uh, slip twice. Um, mm. yeah. Let's revisit. I think, Dave, you brought up – was it – or you, Dale, sorry. Um, I uh, brought up the stats last week that they they're basically just letting in Newcastle are letting in goals at an astronomical rate, um, and so this was the game to to get from that perspective. Yeah, frustration is probably the right word though. Rage at the time, but just letting letting things go, especially so quickly after after going up. It was just you know, 26 minutes and then 10 minutes later, just shelling it and then up again, shelling it and then finally shelling it again to, to, to lose the game. Uh, You guys have kind of mentioned the goals, the um, goals we conceded for me, it was the the goals we didn't take. There was a couple of guilty opportunities, one to Grace Wisniewski, one-on-one with the, the keeper and, Keeper was flat-footed on her heels at the edge of the box, had nowhere to go to. Wisniewski could have done one of about four different things and 
and she just decided to drive it over the keeper. I think the keeper may have got a touch, but either way, it went over the top of the crossbar. If she'd rounded her chip to have done anything else, it had to be yeah. a goal, right? I, th- I think it's one of those ones where... That didn't annoy, well, it didn't didn't frustrate me that much in this game because we've been seeing that like from them all season. The finishing has been a big problem for us, and and it was still true here. I mean, this this is a side who, as you hinted at, have shipped a lot of goals. Their um, their goal difference, as the table stands now, is minus twenty seven with twenty two scored and forty nine against. So they they haven't exactly been tidy at the back. So you'd hope this would be a time where our our finishing could have maybe. Been a, been a little better, you know, that they were a team that are conceding goals and we did score more than we tend to against them. Um, but we just shipped easy goals at the other end. I think that was the part that um, I found more difficult because our, our defending, whilst not, you know, league topping, has been pretty decent this season. You know, the, the end of the field we've struggled at is with the scoring. Um, and yeah, so well, I didn't, I didn't find it surprising that we were still muffing pretty decent chances because we've seen that consistently across the season. See, for me, that was the frustrating factor, is that I, I don't think we've seen an improvement on that open open field uh, no. finishing. It's just been, it feels a bit deer in headlights, like they're just snatching. I, I can understand by this time of the, the league, if it's been happening the entire time, you know, you're going to get the yips, I think, but... Yeah, and short of signing some new team. players who are going to be more clinical, I don't, I don't know what you can do about. It. I think, I think you talked about it previously with with targeting that set piece for goals, and I think you can argue maybe we're doing that a bit more, which is good. Um, it's certainly our biggest outlet, whether whether we're targeting it or not. It is our biggest outlet, or continue to be the biggest outlet, and that's that's a strength we should play into. Um, but I agree, it'd be nice to see some of those players who we know have the quality to be finishing an open play doing it a bit more. But we might talk about that more in the second game. Yeah. Um, well, we should probably mention that first goal because that, that was a, I mean, I'm calling that a definite set piece play. Uh, nice corner to the back post. Uh, no one expecting it apart from uh, Vandermeer who's standing there all by her lonesome and does a nice tidy finish. This is kind of, should be your bread and butter, your, you know, you your one, two kind of front post, back post sort of thing. That that was good to see from a it warms the defender's heart to see a good corner like that and a defender just going, yep, sticking my head on that, taking the easy goal. But also very, very poor defending from them and probably highlights, you know, how many goals they scored. You know, there was just no one within, you know, two yards of her. Like, no even half challenge, nothing. Just She didn't even have to jump. It was kind of just plant my feet and put my head through it and get power that way. It was, um, yeah, completely uncontested. Yeah, well, I, I wonder if that was... Uh, a symptom of we've been playing that front post option so hard that they didn't even consider that back post option. And God forbid I, I mention I, I've been harping on about different options in there, but it seems to me it worked a treat. Yeah, I think you're probably giving them too much credit, I think. <laughs> I think it's just bad defending. Oh, well, it was horrible defending, but you know, if you're going to rope a dope someone, doing it for almost an entire season to the front post is going to do it. No, no. okay, no one's <laughs> you're on your me, own there. No one's giving me any credit for this, but anyway, <laughs> um, I, still, I, I I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, it, as you've mentioned, Dave, those those goals at the other end. This isn't a Newcastle side that's really setting the world on fire. They've got a few goals. Certainly not 
bottom of the league. But yeah. Well, they've been scoring more than us. So that says something. Well, does it? Well, it says something about us, right? That we we are struggling to finish. Admittedly, we we haven't got the lowest goals for in the league, but we we are struggling to score. And, and this Newcastle side, um, you know, are struggling. And I, I'm sure they would probably look at their season, look at their stats, and think they deserve to be bottom of the table. Um, and yet they're not. So it does show that we have some deficiencies somewhere. And I think that the the goal scoring is the most obvious one. Yeah, I. I mean, uh, that number that you mentioned, the goal difference, it, it traditionally by this end of the season, it really starts meaning something, just a, a good indicator of where the points really lie. And the out, the outliers are really Newcastle Jets, negative 27, Sydney FC, positive 26, right? It just screams, and no one else is within 14 goals of either one of those. So there's these massive outliers in Unfortunately, it should be Newcastle, but isn't. Is there anything we can add there that isn't the same frustrations we've been having the whole season? I mean, I guess this one's maybe extra frustrating just because it was Newcastle and where they were in the table. You know, like the five games before that, we haven't considered more than one goal in a game, which which kind of indicates, you know, we've been a bit more solid. And this was, you know, maybe a bit of a slight outlier and, and you can talk about sort of some of the jamminess of the goals maybe can contribute to that but if it happened against a team who were likely to lose against you know uh, I don't know us uh, you know would be the loss to Sydney I think in, in that run 1-0 you know if we conceded a couple of sloppy goals in that game you're like oh well you know it's against Sydney a, a good team um, but given the the position of the team and, and even even a draw would have been particularly helpful to you know hashtag avoid the spoon if that was against them, it's the only game we're going to play against them. You know, by far, seemed to be like the worst side going around. Um, but yeah, I guess that just all compiles to the frustration we've talked about. It was a, a sad day afternoon in Newcastle. It was quite warm. Do we think that that has some kind of factor to do with it? I mean, let's face it, New Zealand has not been particularly warm or dry of late. Do we think that maybe it's just you know, those those slight errors are from heat and tiredness. I mean, you, you're, you're going to have to play in those conditions. We, we know that's a reality of this league. And, and Phoenix sides have obviously struggled with the travel. But I, yeah, I think if you're going to put it down to that, you'd be blaming every, every away game ever for similar, right? Because the conditions over there are always going to be warmer. It's always going to be different. You've just got to suck that up. I think the, I think the, the the thing that was notable for me about this one compared to other ones was that I think you could see from the players, and I don't know if you guys watched the uh, the press conference after with Nat, but it was very clear that the players and the coaching staff had targeted this game, and and probably rightly so. This was this was one they knew they needed to get up for, as you say, to avoid the spoon. This was this was a must win game for them. And they didn't manage to see it out. And we've seen some pretty gutsy performances from them across the last couple of seasons. Um, and we've seen them dig pretty deep. But this one, they might have they might have dug deep, but you could just see how gutted they were with this. And um, I think that was probably the most notable difference was this didn't feel like a game they, they had given any thought to being able to lose. This was a game they were going out there to win 100% and they got, they got picked at the post. Um, and I'm sure that would have hurt. And 
you know, the the reaction from it is probably the most important thing, and we're we're going to talk about that soon. Was it also just a a, a, a subconscious? Hey, we can't. We'll, we basically we won't avoid the spoon here. With two games left, it puts you five points behind, needing to win both games and hope that Newcastle lose both theirs. Is it a bit of that as well? Well, I mean that that's essentially what Nat came out and said in the in the press conference was that you know that was their chance to avoid it and they had missed it. Um, so I think I, you know, it, it certainly makes the maths a lot tougher. Um, obviously, the following result has kept them in it, but yeah, this that, I think they would have been viewing this one as as three points that that made life a lot easier. And instead, um, the Jets are still in with a pretty good chance of avoiding it, and we're relying on the maths to keep us out of it. Well, how about we roll straight into this game because it's certainly, as you've alluded to, Dave, uh, slightly better reading from a, a Knicks fan perspective. Um, a quick turnaround uh, from Sunday to be playing Tuesday night. Uh, Tuesday night? I'll say Tuesday night. We can put, get that in post, eh, Dale? Um, sure. So there- Saturday. The, the, it was Saturday to Tuesday. Oh, Saturday, Tuesday. That makes more sense. Uh Quite a few changes. Uh, Lancaster coming into the starting lineup, as does Millie Clegg. Um, midfield all the same. Barry and Taylor in the midfield. Vandermeer sitting uh, sitting out and Chico coming on to the uh, right fullback spot. Uh, Candy moving into the um, keeper spot um, in place of Bree Edwards. A uh, bit of rotation and a bit of uh, trial. Is this or just purely based on uh, work rates and everything? I want to put this one down purely to uh, rotation because there was a few changes across the team, right? And three days is a short turnaround. I'm surprised they rotated at keeper. Genuinely surprised they rotated at keeper. I thought they would um, have kept Rihanna. But uh, I actually think uh, Georgia is an excellent goalkeeper. Um, She's certainly acrobatic in in the way that she plays she's got a lot of agility um and i think when she finds her voice she can be quite commanding in the area as well so you know as as, as a decent shout and i actually think she played pretty well but i certainly think it was more rotation than anything else yeah certainly at keeper it feels rotation um not sure about the other the other players but certainly um Felt like there was a bit, a bit of pressure off from the get go to me. They didn't feel so burdened. It certainly didn't look as though they were as burdened. Yeah, and I, I think part of that might have been, um, to some extent, they they'd let go of the fact that they were going to finish bottom. I, and I wonder if that may have played into the ro- rotation as well. I think they, after the Newcastle loss, um, had basically said, "Well, that's that's that done." We're, we're getting the wooden spoon, so we've got two games left. Let's go out there and, and do do some things for next season rather than necessarily worrying about this season. So, for example, a bit of rotation and keeper, give someone else um, a debut who hasn't necessarily, um, isn't necessarily going to get it in another scenario, you know, but, but giving those minutes um, makes some sense, particularly at this point of the season and particularly this week with the quick turnaround, you know. If you're going to do it, that was the moment to do it, whereas if... Um, you were still in a fight for a position, you might not have risked it. But here, I think they'd said, you know what? 
it's done now. Um, let's just go out there and enjoy these last two games for what they are. And um, if anything, we've seen that that might have been the attitude they should have been playing with for some time. Because, um, yeah, as you say, they did look like they weren't playing with that same pressure on them. Um, it just looked a bit freer. Um, and we saw some some good performances out of it. I mean, they seemed to play that way against Brisbane when they lost Kate Taylor as well, where it's like, actually, hiding to nothing here, so let's just go out and play. And they do really well when they just go out and play. It's really, really good. I have to agree. And I, and I don't know how as a, as a coach or, you know, anyone you could try and bring that into a plan. You can't, you can't plan that sort of freedom to some extent because even if you tell people the pressure's off, if there's pressure, they're going to feel it anyway, right? Like if, yeah. if, if this you is the game, out, you win, right? the, win the championship by getting a draw, you're going to be feeling that no matter what your coach says. Um, so you can't you can't kind of artificially generate that, but it is something I um, I look at and go, well, that, there's probably a learning in there. They just need to figure out how to how to use it. Uh, let's crack on to what actually happened. Um, so uh, reverting to type, the uh, corners of the near post and Chloe not in amongst the throng of players, gets a good clean head on from point-blank range, nods that in. This is uh, meat and drink for our, our, the way we score goals. Um, interesting to see Chloe not being up there for that one. Tell you what, mate, if you know it's working, why change it? You know, just we've, we've scored a lot of goals this way this season. I'm happy. You know, if, if it's going in, keep doing it. There's there's no harm. You know you've got a great delivery. You get enough bodies in there. Even if it's scrappy, it's going to fall eventually to someone to hit a ball. Yeah, I think this was um, Lancaster maybe taking the corner? Yeah, I from the left-hand side. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which which I hadn't picked. So that's um, that was a nice, tidy delivery. Um, I, I was quite very surprised to see Chloe not be getting it because she's not the tallest lass there. Um, I don't think any, any of them are really are. Like, you know, we've had Satchel up there and, you know, it was nice to get, you know, they're not, they're, you know, it's not many tall players. Not in our team. In anyway. Our team anyway. No, no. But it, I thought she held her ground really well and um, used her body position. It was. Uh, uh, she's she's strong, man. She's she's a very very strong player. She's quite nuggety as well, and doesn't mind putting herself about. Eh? So, I am not surprised at all. She managed to find a yard of space in there to get her head on a ball coming in. Yeah, suspect there are some pointy elbows being uh, wielded in amongst there. If, if uh, it's quite a scrum, eh? Right, it's quite a was, scrum in there. So, if there was a lot up, of players in there. Yeah, so if you've got a lot of players and the the officials are going to struggle to see the odd elbow uh, being uh, nudged into ribs to create a bit of space. So if you can get away with it, get away with it. Not that we're saying that Chloe did any of that, by the way. Um, No, but I'm advocating for it purely on what I'd do as a striker if I was in that situation. Yeah. Um, As much as uh, the Newcastle game, it felt like we dominated that, we let it slide. This was... We played with a bit of, it seemed like mental freedom, but we certainly weren't dominating uh, Adelaide. This is a team that not particularly high up the ladder, but above no, us. I, I actually, I picked this game as a, Adelaide were dominant, but no more dominant than a home team usually would be. Like I actually think it was quite a good away performance for us, uh, playing a team who would be about a par with us. Looking at their record is not that much better. They're sitting a couple of places above us on the table. Um, 
and you know a, cu- a couple of wins up, and we've been unlucky not to get that. I, d- I don't consider Adelaide to be too much better than us, if better than us at all. And but yes, they they played this game like they're the hometown favourites. You know what I mean? That and and got that home field advantage, which gives them uh, a slight edge in the game. Nothing more than that. I thought this was a really well contested game between two even teams. Unless I'm mistaken, as well, I think this was their last their last game of the season. The way that the way yeah, the draw works, yeah. they they're a game ahead, and so yeah. for them, playoffs were already gone. There wasn't much on the line here for them. Um, I like like I've already said, I don't I don't think we necessarily went out there with much on the line for us either. But I think in some ways that probably makes this a better spectacle and a slightly more even game. You know, if that if they had been battling for that top top sport four spot or whatever, I'm sure. Um, it might have been slightly different. But last game of the season, it's already gone. You're not finishing bottom. You're not making the playoffs. There's not a hell of a lot there other than a bit of pride in taking your last home game um, for a win. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they were reasonably dominant, but I don't, I don't think there was much there for them to really press the flesh. Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder um, how many contracts are up for renegotiation in the Women's A-League seems to be a very um short contract time for the most part well um, most, most women's football is quite transient and they do tend to play off single season contracts and then they'll go some so six month here six months there six month there six month there that's really really common in women's uh, women's football the nwsl in the us as uh helena was pointing it out i think last week or the week before the NWSL and the A-League are paired quite closely together as, as uh, two places you can go and uh, earn a good living or earn a living playing you know, six months in Australia and six months in the US. And a lot of them would do that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much stock in the playing for a contract scenario. I think it's, it's because women's football has done so differently to men's and the ability to earn a living within the sport means you do do that travel quite a bit and you do change contracts quite a lot. If they are going to come back to the club, they'll come back to the club and that will be discussed at the appropriate time. Yeah. And I think you're right. Part of it, part of it there, the the kind of transient nature is, is there's just less money in it. You know, the, the seasons are shorter, but the money for your contracts also a lot less, you know, you're not, you're not living off that year round um, off the, the short contract from an A-League. Uh, women's season it's just not it's just not a reality so you do need to fill the other six months of your year um either with some football or there are the you know those more fringe players who you know have a job for six months of the year um and that's just the nature of it it being professional but not the same you know stratosphere in terms of money as what you see in the men's game you see i would have thought that that would have played the opposite way um with the transient nature it's like you're you're looking to get your next contract like you're you know, when you're out contracting in a day-to-day job, uh, which I guess this is for them. Sorry, that's a bit of a stupid statement. Um, you know, you, you're you're always kind of looking for that next one and how to how to make sure that you can go back to the you know a, an an existing gig, basically. It may maybe this is just you know projection. I think it's yeah. I think it's projection. I I don't see it that way in the slightest. Um, I think. They will, sure, they'll be looking for their future, but I think you're more likely to see someone like Betsy Hassett, who will pick up a contract in the NWSL and move over there relatively quickly after the end of the season to keep her fitness up and keep ready for the World Cup. 
And I think that is far more likely to happen than her worrying about coming back to the Phoenix next season. And she'll take that contract and then she might move up to Iceland again. You know what I mean? It's like they, they just keep moving where the contracts and the ability to play football is. It's not like in Europe. Europe is changing quite a bit now and they have a longer season and the, there's a much bigger job security there. So they're not necessarily fighting for contracts quite so much. But uh, yeah, this I think you're putting a bit too much stock in that at this point in time. We should probably mention uh, the one uh, kind of change th- uh, that has gone on as far as uh, future, and that is uh, Millie Clare getting a call up to the Football Ferns uh, announced just before this game. Um, this is uh, big news for her. Uh, obviously, still very, very young, eighteen, I believe. Uh, Seventeen, I think. Seventeen. Yes, still she, seventeen. Maybe she, maybe she turned eighteen during the season. No, no, she's still seventeen according to stats. Um, I, I think this is fairly good reward for someone that's showing promise this is uh, i guess uh a future forward kind of pick rather than a right now pick is that how you guys are seeing it i mean to some extent but i i think if you look at who we pack in the all white squads for the men's side um it's no different you do you always have some of those um future picks in there and and i think it, to me it, it was a no-brainer she was going to get selected um she should be in that wider squad it'll be interesting to see how involved in that squad she is that that's really the the key here is, is are they seeing her as getting minutes or is this just involvement for a future player that they've identified um and i think if you assume the base level for me it was a no-brainer she's picked and included in there because she should be um she's absolutely a player for the future and i to be honest hope she starts getting minutes early because she probably deserves them um on merit as well well i think uh, if the top up the top toss up is between say her and say satchel in a wide position in front three i mean i know who i'd be selecting and if i was paid satchel i'd be very nervous about you know how many minutes i might get at a world cup because you know on the basis of this season alone yeah she um really clean's done far more to you know to nail down that spot than say page has but yeah she's definitely got that I guess I don't want the cliche X factor, doesn't she? She she's able to get on the ball and and make things happen, um, which we haven't seen a whole lot from the rest of the Phoenix forwards this year. I think Helena summed her up very well a few weeks ago, where she said she has the ability with the first three touches directly at a player, and then an ability to shift her weight and move past the player, which you don't see a lot of in women's football. So it's it's a it makes her an, a certainly a player that can change a game when she comes on. Certainly a player that has something of a gift that other players... Don't, it's, it's like looking at Alyssa Wynnum, right? She's incredibly gifted on the ball and has the ability to beat a player and turn and do stuff that other players can't do. Lily Clegg's in that same kind of boat. Obviously both very young. Very good players who in the future may do very wonderful things for the, for the Ferns. And... I think selecting her, I think, Dave, you've been saying this along and possibly Dale as well, um, all season that you think that she should be given a shot within the Ferns camp because she is quite the player. Yeah, she uh, she certainly took the uh, news in her stride. She had, a, she had a pretty good game getting into that starting spot, whereas she's been coming off the bench. Uh, two goals, one of them slightly fortuitous. Uh, certainly that, that first of her goals was... 
textbook Millie Clegg, right? Up the left, uh, as you say, Cam, or Helena said, three touches at pace, chop in, right foot. That was a clinical finish. We've got, we've got to credit Emma Main for a fantastic pass to see the run. Um, looking at the replay, I think, I feel Millie was pretty close to offside. It was it was certainly borderline. She was very close to the line. It's nice to have one go our way after a couple not going our way this season, which would have led to uh, more points on the board. So we'll take it. Um, but that uh, once she's through on goal uh, and the keepers come so far out out of the box to which has eliminated the ability to use her hands, uh, which is a bit of a which is an error. It was always going to be a goal. She just needs to go round her, and if she if the key the only thing the keeper can do there is foul her, and then that would be a red card. So yeah, it was uh, a nicely taken goal and uh, very well worked. But I think the keeper needs to look at uh, her positioning for that uh, for that play. Dave, you were the first one to bring up that Emma Main pass. Yeah, well, and and she's she's only just joined the joined the side. I mean, she's she's been signed since we last spoke. I um I hinted at it because I I know Emma um reasonably well and knew knew that contract had uh basically been finalised but not announced yet. So um, it's great to see her step into the squad and have an immediate impact. Anyone who's seen her play at club level um knows that she's she's just fantastic. Her vision, um, her strength on the ball is just. Um, absolute quality and, and so I think it's really good to see her um, step up to professional level and still be playing um, just great through balls like that um, like it's you know just another club game um, so that's really good to see because she does bring that and I think she'll be a real asset if she continues that at that level um, I mean the run is very very good but it still required a really really good ball to find her and um, yeah Emma just absolutely nails it well, there was another ball from Maine as well, if I recall, um, to Hassett. She might have been offside or something. But again, another good through yeah. ball. That- and, and she just brings quality quality balls, quality vision to that. So I think I think you'll see a lot more of that. And if she's not nervous about trying it on, on debut, who knows what she's going to do when she's got a bit of experience under her belt. Very good point. Because that, um, that one for Millie Clegg was quite the ambitious ball. It was a, a long... A fairly direct pass, and she nailed that. It was really impressive. Uh, something we haven't seen from anyone in the Knicks both seasons, to be fair. Um, that uh, third goal, um, you've got to give clear uh, credit for being there, but Jeep is that's unfortunate for the um, uh, for the Adelaide keeper. Uh, deflection off a defender, loops up over, and she just can't get her hands back far enough, and it rolls in. I think, I think we need to go further back than that. Um, we need to look at Grace Wisniewski uh, winning the ball in midfield, driving at the defensive line, drawing in two players, which has given Clegg the space to collect the ball, beat her play, and then take the shot. Yes, obviously, she's got fortunate with the deflection and then with the keeper being able to not being able to parry it away from the goal uh, and you know it, it ending up in the goal. But uh, the opportunity was created purely by uh, was Nesky's ability to draw in players. Yep, that is fair. Someone uh, who else is uh, getting an opportunity was um, Candy at playing goalkeeper. I, I want to bring her up just because there was there was two very interesting sides to her. I um, I can't remember who it was from Newcastle hit an absolute trace bullet from distance, and she made as you mentioned, Cam the most acrobatic uh, save to stop that shot. 
but there was also another situation where the ball, uh, Newcastle scored from it at the end, ball got looped to that back post and she kind of came out and just kind of flapped in the vicinity. Um, she she seems to be a work in progress. Obviously, that shot stopping is phenomenal, but just seemed to remind me a bit of Glenn Moss. Just as soon as the ball got in the air, it was uh, you gripped the seat a little harder. Well, by Newcastle, I think you mean Adelaide. But, Adelaide, um, sorry, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the goal that you're talking about, I think, Maybe you're doing a, I think you might be doing a bit to service for it. Like I think the ball is, is well past the back post, so it's not one where like you know she should be expecting to get. I think she's trying to sort of jump and kind of starfish to make your yourself look big, bigger um, from the from the head your back. But you know that might be the, the slightest blemish she had all game. Because other than that, she was she was pretty solid throughout. Made made the saves that she needed to. I remember there was one long long range shot straight at her, but it was absolutely smashed, and she just calmly collected out of the air as if it was it was nothing. It might have been her second or first save she had to make. Um so she certainly didn't look out of place at all based on, on yeah, based on that one performance. Because she is so acrobatic and she does make those saves. So and that that agility will see her uh, see her through see her quite well in the um in the in the league itself. So I yeah, I think you're doing a bit of a her a disservice there, uh, Frosty. I think she's uh the the ball to the back post should be dealt with by a defender and she's done everything that she should do to try and make it harder for the uh, for the striker to score. The, she's got unlucky that the ball's gone under her effectively. I mean, I, I want to agree with Frosty slightly. Not not because I think she should have saved this, because I don't think she should. No, I think, I think exactly. you're exactly right. But she she the the motion she makes, you know, you, you've talked about her trying to, you know, kind of starfish a little there. Her arms don't even move. They stay by her side. And I think that's that's the only criticism I'd have is she she hops a little, but her arms just don't move. She doesn't really get up and try and try and save this. But I think that's because it's already it's already gone. And I think that's the reality. Like it should have been dealt with before then. And I don't think her having her arms up rather than down makes any difference to whether or not she saves this. Um, and I think she recognizes that. But I think if you're a fan watching, you think, oh, she's just let it go in. And I think that's probably where that criticism comes from. But I don't I don't think it had any impact on whether or not this ball was going in. No, no. It definitely, I, I don't think that there was much of that anyway. But there was a defender going. I just, I did rewatch this. There was a defender going to the attacker and... I don't know that Candy trusted her to get, but she was never making it, and she kind of got caught in that halfway zone. If she'd stayed on her line, she might have gotten lucky, and you know, uh, if she'd made herself big, but she kind of ended up flying past that outside post, kind of. Yeah, yeah. she ends up she ends up out uh, like beyond the byline, just kind of standing there um, after she lands. It's a bit it's a bit odd, but like I say, I think I think that's it's already gone by that point. That's fair. Um, she is very young. Obviously, do you remember uh, how old she is, Cam? No, not off the top of my head. I'm sorry. 20, 21, I just looked it up. Right. Yeah. Okay. But Bri- 21 is only 20 as well. Yeah. Bri Edwards is 20. Candy's 21. Um, Lily's the oldest statement, statesman at 27. You know, so they, they are all young anyway. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that age. Experience, sure. Uh, experience why she hasn't played a pro level before. So this is her pro debut. Uh, I think she's done pretty, really, really well for uh, her pro debut. Yeah, she's certainly shown that she's got some, she's got a whole lot of potential, which is good. Um, bit of a log jam now, though, with uh, goalkeepers for the, for the Wahenix. With Lily still there, who we've 
probably completely forgotten about by now, um, yet to come back. Uh, Bree Edwards and, and now uh, Candy stepping up and showing she's got potential. That's interesting times, right? Well, it's interesting that I think when we like looking at the start of the season, well, it's you know hearing that Lily would be out for four weeks, and I think we were probably all at that stage going, "Shit, this is going to be a tough first four weeks." Um, mm. You know, brand new keeper, yeah, uh, had what half a game? Was it a game? Maybe the season before, um, and I guess look where we are now. You know, Lily hasn't played a, a minute in the game. Edwards has come on leaps and bounds and has looked entirely comfortable with that you know at that level you know a few deficiencies in her game but you know this is the a-league <laughs> um and you know now we've got candy who hasn't looked out of place really either so um it's quite interesting kind of thinking where we where we were thinking at the start of the season to where we've kind of finished it seems almost completely flip side really i suppose and there are another couple of keepers that have been in training as well who also look the part. You know, they're, they're, we are we are quite blessed. And obviously you don't see a lot of them. They're not in the limelight. Um, there's not a hell of a lot of limelight shone on women's football. And hopefully this will change that in the future. But there are some good young keepers out there who are showing that they certainly do have an ability to step up if the opportunity arises. Yeah, and I think I think as well. I, I I think it's probably got to be a credit to the the system as a whole. I mean, obviously under um, Goffey, they started a pretty pretty good um, goalkeeping program. You know, we saw when um, Ollie had to step up, he did. When Alex had to step up and cover some games, he did really well. When Lily's been out, we've seen Bree step up, and and you know we we're seeing just a good crop of keepers coming through there. And and I think obviously whatever work Goffey kind of started in that space. Um, has been carried on by I think it's Ruben who's still there as the goalkeeping coach. No, no. So they, the the goalkeeping coach of the women is Ryan Ego. Okay, yeah. Um, he used to work in the academy. Uh, went away and he's come back and he's been working with them. Uh, I'm not sure if he was there last season, but certainly all of this season. And yeah, his the work he's been doing is fantastic. Um, yeah. I, th- I think it shows specifically in how much Bree has developed from that mm. first game against Melbourne City to where we are now. And we're talking about a keeper who's, it's nice, it's chalk and cheese, night and day between where she was as a raw, you know, young keeper with obvious obvious talent, but not but obviously no big game experience at all, to someone now who can control her area and command her defence quite well, and is only improving, is only going to improve from this point. Yeah, yeah. My main concern uh, with Bree Edwards, unfortunately, is because of that log jam, she's got uh, dual citizenship as well. So she's got to be a hell of a target for um, other A-League clubs. Um, you know, as much as it'd be good to have more Kiwi keepers and everything. Um, yeah, just the, to grow another quality player out of it from the Knicks in the academy is, it really it really hurts if, uh, if she would leave. Um, I've just been done dirty by so many of the men's team at the moment. It's... <laughs> It's really hurting. Um, hey, well, hey, we're getting we're getting to keep Alex for another three years, so that's not dirty. Oh, spoilers, <laughs> spoilers. Um, yeah. Uh, so obviously the uh, segways, buddy. Segways, not spoilers. No, no, we've still got we've <laughs> still got to talk the final game. Um, so three points on offer for the next game. Uh, are we just letting the 
we'll let the let the spoon go. Just let them do as the you know uh, play off the leash. Well, well, I mean, Val Victory have, and themselves haven't been particularly um, informed. The last they've only won like one of their last five games, so there's been four. I have drawn the other but, four, yeah. But two of those draws have been against Brisbane Raw, who you know aren't exactly setting the league on fire. Um, you know, a bit of travel over here. It's the first time they've done that, I think. Yep, it is. Um, haven't so, played you know, of, over here at all. Yeah, so, and I know they're still in the mix for for a um, playoff spot, but yeah, I mean, it's not the it's not the worst team to be coming over here. I don't think. Throw in uh, the fact that uh, Newcastle are playing Sydney, and if Sydney win, they can go top um, because uh, Western United are playing Western Sydney, which is uh, uh, you know not which is going to be a bit of a challenge. Western Sydney haven't been the worst team this season, so um, yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. If, uh, and Sydney are obviously playing Perth uh, Wednesday night, so there's 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 a lot on the on the line um, for for those teams. I think there's a chance. If we play the way we have done uh, against Adelaide, if we play the way we did against Canberra and uh, Brisbane in the three-all draw, there's a great chance we win this game. We certainly, we we certainly in with a shout. And victory, obviously, a better side. They've got you know, in with a shout for the playoffs for a reason. But we have definitely a chance. Yeah, I think I think it's a winnable game. Um, I think the thing the thing that worries me about this is that they need to win this to make the four. Um, like they don't have to, but it certainly makes their life a lot easier if they take points here. And you look at their defensive record; they are not conceding many goals, and we are struggling to score. So I, I think, much as it's a winnable game, we need a lot of things to kind of go our way for that to happen. I think it's more likely we might be able to scrape a draw here. Um, either a nil all, or if we do get that goal, maybe hold them to just one as well and get a point out of this, which would still be a great result. Doesn't change the uh, the maths in terms of us wooden spooning it, but I think I think a draw is is pretty achievable here. Um, and yeah, to, to Frosty's point, I think I think there's no point worrying about the spoon. I think just go out there, play our football, last game of the season, enjoy it, um, and hopefully hopefully something comes of it, and and hopefully the players can actually play with that freedom because I think they look a lot better when they do. Yep, uh, very well said. Uh, so obviously that's the um, first game at twelve fifteen on Saturday at the at Sky Stadium before the men play at three pm also against Melbourne Victory. Uh, we the preview for the men's game. Um, oh, Dale, your your pun, Zawar Dad is back. Well played, sir. Thank you. I'm waving to my adoring fans. Yep. From the balcony. Where are they? I don't see them. Uh, <laughs> all of them are waving back right now, Dale. <laughs> yeah. Literally all of them. No, no, that is a that is class, mate. That is fabulous pun. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's what a bad joke. Uh, that is good news. Uh, probably not particularly well rested, but back on the field and on the hunt. Does this get us back on track? It's a big game, I think. It's a big game because uh, I think if you lose that, you start getting creeping back into the, the chasing pack. You win it, you're pulling ahead. Um, and I think if you win it, you're starting to look, you know, top fours are looking like a good chance. If you, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, I, think, I think we got we got lucky in the last game where we lost. Uh, and But all the teams, all the results for the teams below us went our way. And and so nobody closed in. Um, so 
that was that was good. We need we need to win this. Zawada's shown that he's the man we need up front, and we seem to be struggling if he's not there. So um, keep him fit, keep him on the park. Yeah, we win this, we can, we can go further. But yeah, we got we got lucky last time. We got lucky last time out, and I can't see that happening again. Uh, just a reminder of where we currently sit after this week off. I've, I'd forgotten. Uh, we're sitting currently fifth, uh, four points ahead of Sydney, uh, equal on points with the Mariners in fourth, but uh, eight goals uh, under in their goal difference. Uh, we're also three points behind uh, the Wanderers in third. So a lot to play for, depending on the way things drop. So... Interesting we've, times. We've also got the fact that Newcastle playing City, which is an advantage for us, and Sydney and Western United are both also playing each other. So there's a chance that, you know, again, results could go our way. Perth and MacArthur are playing each other. So a couple of draws there and we and a win for us and we are pulling a little bit more of a gap. We're obviously still going to be in fifth place as a minimum when this weekend is over. Um, we're probably... Uh, Due to goal difference, it's going to be quite hard to climb too much higher up the table. But pulling another another gap and a, a win this weekend would make a big, big difference. Yeah. True enough. Um, so that's the end of the uh, on-the-field football uh, chat. We'll be talking to David Dome right after this uh, to see what his view on the world is. And we're back. And we're joined by David Dome, uh, General Manager of the Wellington Phoenix. Thank you, Cam, for correcting me and making Glad sure. Glad you I got it right this time. Yep. You'd think uh, after as long as you've been uh, GM, Dave, you've. Uh, I would have got it right. Well, it's a funny title, isn't it? I, yeah, it seems to have been that when they were doing this role, they went down the the uh, the US um, way of naming our role. So I guess it sort of fell out of that. Oh well, it it, it suits you. Um, I, I'm going to go some nice uh, generic questions to start off, even though you've been on a million times and we should just get down to it. Uh, with your role, you're taking quite a holistic and high-level view of things. How far in, out in advance are you planning? Depends on what you mean by planning. Like we've, we, In terms of budgeting, we kind of do we, – we, we do have a five-year plan, but you kind of look at it year by year because, as you know, it just changes every year depending on what's happening with the league, what's happening with the sponsors and all that sort of stuff. But when we're looking at um, the club strategically, then it is, you know, luckily, as an example, this facility in Trentham, if you look at that year on year, you go, that's not – that just doesn't make sense to move there. But you look at it in, in terms of we what you can do in the next five years to ten years, and you go, oh, you, you have to be looking at that. Same with the women's program. You go, look, it doesn't make sense to do it now because there's just no way you can make ends meet. But you know, in five years' time, that thing could be you know, um, you know a very important part of the business. Um, and, and everything we do, it's not just about the A League and the A League W. The actual football on the field. There's a lot of like we've talked about a number of times, a lot of community stuff, which is all long term stuff. Um, the academy is an investment into the club long term because, you know, you start a team today, you're not going to get players coming out for a good couple of years. And when it was kind of really kicked off, when Wellnix took over in 2011, it kind of had a couple of years to get up and running and now it's flying. So, yeah, look, look, I mean, we have five-year plans um, uh, around the, the core parts of the club, but it gets, it gets 
you know, updated every year. When you're taking that kind of law, very long term look at things, um, how much you're dealing with contingencies? Like, obviously, thing you mentioned, things change really regularly. Um, obviously, players change regularly, coaches change semi regularly, um, and even the league changes uh, at the uh, slightest change of the wind. So, um, do you have contingencies for these sorts of things? You know, uh, every year, two years ago. This yeah. is kind of if the coach goes, if this player goes. Well, we, we do on a year-by-year basis, but the long-term plan sort of stays the same about where we want to go, what we want to achieve. You know, we've talked about we want to play finals every year. We talked about we want to be in a grand final every three, five years. Um, same with the women's team. Um, and everything's working towards that, you know, the way we do player recruitment. They're, they're taking player recruitment is now on a much longer time frame than we have done in the past. You know, we've traditionally done like one-year, two-year deals, and now... As you saw with Roofs this morning, it's a three-year deal. And to be honest, we are open to doing longer deal, five-year deals. Um, if we if we can find the player that wants to sign to a five-year deal with the Wellington Phoenix, we'll do those deals as well. And we've had a crack at a couple of those. And, you know, sometimes the players aren't up for it, even though we as a club are, because we want to build. You know, we've got 12, 13 players signed for the A-League men for next season, and that's a great place to be, which gives us some certainty. Um, and then, with, you know, you want to build around a certain you know, a core of your players. Um, but that's sort of, it, it, when you're looking at that, it's independent of the coach, right? We're not making plans for the club based on who the coach is. We're making plans for the coach and then you work backwards for who the coach is going to be. And then the men's space, whether that's Ufi or whether that's somebody else, you know, that, that's what we're, we're considering now. Um, and anybody that's coming into the club has to buy into the vision of the club, where we want to be and where we want to go. Um, and we're not, you know, not the other way around. It's not the, you know, not the vision. You know, and we have been guilty of that. I mean, I think you saw in the, a couple of our uh, coaches in the early, you know, earlier days, um, you know, the European coaches that come in when we've completely rejigged the club based on what they wanted to go. It was a complete utter disaster. So we learned from that. We're not, we're not going to go down that path again. You can say his name, dummy. It's not, it's not. He's not the boogeyman who's going to jump out. I don't really want to, uh, dis, you know, disrespect the guy. So he had his own way of doing things, and he's he's moved on. I actually don't know. Every now and then, he actually keeps he's in Melbourne City, team. isn't he? What? Melbourne no, City. Talking Darry, eh? No, no, Darry. no. Kalasich. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's. Yeah. And last time I heard from him, he was in Indonesia. No, nah, he's in um, um, Netherlands, I think, at the moment. Ah, okay, he was Dutch. He was Dutch Serbian. He's probably gone. Most got a house there or something at home there. Um, you mentioned these these longer term contracts uh, that you're um, offering, and I, I'm assuming that these would be mainly targeting Kiwi players, or is it something you're looking to target those visa players? No, at this stage, mostly New Zealand players. Uh, yes, mostly New Zealand players. We were looking at, at doing those deals with. Um, and like you say, Roos, like I mentioned before, Roos has done a three year deal, which we're really really happy with. Um, but if we found the right import, you'd, you'd do it as well. I mean, you know, would you look at a, a five-year deal for an Oscar Zavada? I mean, you give me his 25 now, and if he would commit to it, you'd probably look at that, right? Um, but, you know, they're, those, they're certainly more difficult to do with the international players because obviously they, at some stage they want to go to their, back to their home country or they want to move on to, to bigger clubs. But, you know, where we can and where we think it's um, worthwhile, we will look at those, those contracts. Is that because you see the resale value of players as a key sort of income stream and having a longer term gives you a bit more le- you know, leeway? 
Yeah, I think certainly for some players, but for other players, it's just locking in that to give it the, the squad some solidity so we can plan over the next, like we say, over the next three to five years. You go, right, that player is going to be there. We'll build around that player. And then we know we can backfill. If we know we've got that player locked in, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's exhausting having I mean, to renegotiate contracts every year, year upon year upon year, because what we tend to find is players come to us, they, you know, whether it's Ufi or, or somebody else, they do a good job of, of playing them and developing them and then they get offers and they go overseas and you, get in, you end up getting into a bidding war with some of these other clubs to keep them at the play, at your club. Um, it's probably going to be slightly easier now that we've got Trentham on board because that's a, that's a, that's a facility with as a competitive advantage. But sometimes you just can't keep the player. But if you've got them on longer-term contracts and you've got some solidity, you know exactly what you're going to pay them in the next three years to five years, that means you can lock away that into the budget and then you just backfill everyone else around it. You, you're mentioning, um, obviously, these Kiwi players that, you've, uh, that have moved on, I'm guessing. Uh, it's it's frustrating from our perspective to go, okay, this is a this is a core part of the club as local-grown players. Uh, players to have guys like um clayton and ollie go obviously that's got to be a degree of uh, frustration for you is what's the you know what's the deciding thing for these guys moving away within the same league yeah i mean you really sort of have to ask that the player that why they see you know advantage in going you, you look at uli you know uli devia who we would love to have kept and we put on a very very attractive offer to keep him in fact i would suggest it was probably the same that MacArthur ended up but um you know mrs uli wanted to, to stay in sydney given the bendy over the COVID years and she liked new south wales and there's nothing we could do about it you, you know we we can't move the club to, to sydney just to keep one player and, you know, uh, like, like you say, a couple of players that have gone this year, you really kind of have to talk to them in terms of what they what the attractiveness was to go somewhere else. Ollie's been with the club a long, long, long time and he's, he's done his apprenticeship here and he's come through the system and he's waited his turn and then he's got it and now he's you know, regarded as quite rightly one of the best players in the league and, and that's great for him. And he, he thinks, you know, he, he wants to try something else and, you know, well, we can't stand stop in his way if he's out of contract. At the end of the day, the player has to make those decisions with his agent, what he thinks the best option for him is, and Ollie's made that, that choice. So um, from the club's perspective, is this just basically a, a normal attrition that just seems to have doubled up this time? Yeah, look, you know, we, we lose players every year. Some years we lose more players than others, and um, this year's actually not been too bad in terms of the turnover. You know, we have signed... Um, on the back of some good recruiting, you know, you've got Zavada and you've got um, uh, Kaif on multi-year deals, and um, so they're both here next year. And we're having a bit of a session today on on other players. And you know, the thing is that I'm really happy about, I'm really pleased about, is you know, we could lose a player, but I th- I, number one, I back us to recruit just as well to bring in another player, and then number two, the the quality of the kids that are coming through the academy is really, really encouraging. Um, both on the men and the women's side. I've been down to the women's, a few of the women's games. Some of those kids in the women's program are truly exciting. I mean, you know, you, you're seeing Millie Clegg and then you saw Emma Main last night. Emma Main's been in our academy for last season after, you know, done doing her apprenticeship at Wellington U, where she was a standout player. And before that, upper heart, you know, but, you know, you look at those players coming through and there are some more in that academy and you go, oh, you know, some of these kids are going to 
be really exciting once we start bringing them through into the first term. So, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence. You know, we've always seemed to, we, we lost Uri Davia, the best player in the league, uh, one year, and then we bring in Boja de Clave and, and Oscar Zavada and we barely miss a beat. So, do you know what I mean? I, I kind of go, I trust the, the coaching and the, and, the, and the scouting staff and I also trust the development program that's in the academy. In that kind of decision-making, are you considering how easy it is to replace some players? Do you look at some players and go, I'm prepared to play a little bit over what you think is value, what you value them at because it'll be harder to replace them than just re-signing them? Uh, there is definitely an aspect of that to it where, you know, you you look at a player and you go, well, he's, he's been paid a lot now, you know, and there are a few players that we've lost. And you go, well, we've lost, we've, they've been paid a lot, but we've lost them. But you go, okay, so that gives us a lot of money to replace them with. And at the same time, you go, it's a decent amount of money. But to get that quality of player in, you have to play that plus maybe a bit more, you know. So you, you, we, we factor that in when we're doing the negotiations. So, well, this player may be on X now, but to replace him, it's going to be X plus Y. So we might as well offer this player X plus, plus Y to keep someone that we know and we trust. So, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely that aspect to it. Um, and again, like sometimes we, there's just nothing you could, we could have done. You know, there's nothing we could have done could have kept the player without breaking the bank. We've got to be responsible, uh, you know, within the budgets because, you know, while I, you know, I've said it in, uh, many times, why, you know, we spend, that's where the great majority of our cost is, is in players. And we, we realise that it's pointless in trying to market the, market the team if, you, if you're bottom of the table and you're not winning games. So you might as well spend your marketing dollars on your playing squad. But um, that's probably the best marketing that you can do. So we're aware of that. But at the same time, you're not, you can't break the bank if you want to keep a player because you just don't know. You just don't know how it's going to play out. You just got to be responsible. You kind of hinted at it earlier, but do you think the the kind of shift in facilities helps um, move that dial on some of those discussions? Obviously, um, the A-League is a league where there's a bit of player movement around, and I think clubs like the Phoenix and, and the Mariners certainly would feel um, they're more often on the short end of the stick than the, 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 the winning end with having, you know, the best players. You know, you do the scouting, you do the work, you bring them to the league, and then they, they move to the big-name clubs in Sydney and Melbourne. Do you think, do you think that change of facilities helps change that discussion a little? Because obviously, you know, the money's always going to be a factor and we can't necessarily compete on that. But you, you've said those other factors, you know, the the personal life stuff and the facilities and all of that plays into that discussion. No, it does. It does. And I know for a fact that, you know, when, uh, you know, Gilly and Ufi and Chiefy are doing their recruiting, they're sending details of the unit. So they send them the video, this is where you're going to train and live every day. Well, no, so you live, this is where you train uh, every day, day in and day out. And you look at someone like Clay who did that, that was a pretty nasty injury, the injury that he got during um, in the last couple of weeks. We originally thought he'd be out till you know end of April, mid April. We kind of thinking we we might be back in time for the final series. So he, he's been training with TJ Pitanara and as he's recuperated, and he's come back what probably four weeks earlier than than what we thought was worst case scenario. Four to actually six weeks probably, and I think you certainly have to put some of that credit on that facility, right? Because there isn't. There's an Ultra G machine out there, which essentially is like he can give up his fitness and do his aerobic fitness, where um, like in a zero gravity type situation. Um, and I know that you know that would that certainly has to be a factor of his coming back from injury quicker than he otherwise would. And you look at some of the other players; they must look at that and go, you know, staying out there. If I go to that training facility, maybe it would put on, you know, could I get another couple of years out of my career from there? At the end? You know, I'm getting towards the end of it, so. 100% I think it's going to be it, – it's still a little unknown. I don't think it's well-known within the leagues yet, but it's, the message is getting out there. 
Um, you know, and I think, you know, it, it'll be, it'll get more and more so. And like I say, we're using that, the imagery of that place when we're talking to players. I want to pivot slightly. We've, we've kind of uh, done a bit of a deep dive on the players. Obviously, um, there's an analogous uh, situation with the coaches. There is a cycle for coaches as well. Um, how much are you, uh, I, I don't want to get into too much detail with uh, Ufi's um, contract being, I think, up at the end of this, um, at the end of this season. Yeah. Um, uh, you've obviously, uh, there was the, um, uh, the uh, club backing for the All Whites job that he applied for and that's not going through. When you're negotiating with any coach, are you uh, any ex, um, current coach? How how far ahead are you getting? Do you kind of like go okay? By this stage, we want to we want to have an idea. We want to be talking to someone. Are you working with that with that coach to try and work things out? What's the kind of process for you and the rest of the club when you're looking to retain a coach or bring a new coach in? So if you're looking, you can talk about Ufi as, as a good example. So, you know, the last one we did was a two-year extension uh, that we wanted to get because, as, as everybody knows, Ufi's, unfortunately, Ufi's tenure was impacted by COVID, which I think severely impacted his ability, you know, to, to, to really deliver on what he could have delivered on. And there was that one season when COVID rolled in when we were going great guns and we were you know, second, third on the table and, and, and then COVID rolled in and we played our home semi. The irony: we played our home semi in, in in New South Wales against Perth, and, and and went out on that, you know. And we would have had I don't know twenty thousand, twenty five thousand at, at Sky if we'd been there. So look, oh, when it came to Ufi, it was a case of well, you know, you know, he's got a he did the first year, and then you know we were talking to him about budgets for this year, and he, he was given a budget to have a decent crack at it this season, and then. Um, conversations with them, you know, had, do you want to extend it past two years? And that's when he said, well, look, I'm looking for the next step in my career, but picked it up again, ooh, probably prior to Christmas, you know, just touching base. And this is mostly Rob, to be to be fair. This is not myself. This is mostly Rob who has, the, has that contracting, if you want to talk about relationship with a head coach. And then if you sort of said, no, I still want to try my apply my trade and say just give it a give it a crack so but those conversations have never really stopped and i think we've said a number of times that we would still we would have him back in a heartbeat if he wanted to stay but he said he thinks he wants to go um we haven't closed that door but we're not going to leave it to chance either so we're all looking around if he's looking around and we're looking around and um i think before the end of the season they're pretty much clearer I would, I would have suggested what Ufi wants to do. But it could, we could get to the end of the season. Ufi still hasn't found a contract in, in Europe or in Asia. Um, but I think by that stage, we probably need to have moved on um, if he hasn't made, a, hasn't made his, his choice either way. I, I guess what I'm saying is we don't want to go into the off-season with no head coach. That, that's kind of what – that's a summary of it. And everybody's in the same position as understanding that. Um, so uh, when you're talking about um, looking for other – other possibilities. Um, you've uh, obviously gone with the last two coaches, uh, Rudan and uh, Ufi. You've gone someone that hasn't had uh, first team coaching before, certainly at a uh, at a professional level. Is that something you're liable to stick with, or is it just kind of like whoever's there? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a case of be horses for courses, right? So we'll we'll talk to people that we have identified who we think could be um, uh, good replacements if Ufi doesn't resign. Um, we'll make, you know, we, we've done a short list of, of people that we're looking at, um, and we'll start that process. So again, we're not going to leave it to chance. We're not going to leave it till the off season to begin the process. We'll start that now. Um, and again, if Ufi just, uh, just comes to last next week or next couple of weeks and says I'm keen to stay, then you know, that, that's fine because these prices, it's not going to be quick to get through some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, so it, it'll be, there'll be people on that list who have had head coach experience and there'll be people on the list who don't have, haven't had necessarily had head coach experience. So, but we're looking for the right fit for us as a club and that's really important. We've got a list of criteria that we want these people to meet um, and there's a number of things on there. You know, as you expect, you know, the right cultural fit, the right, the right, philosophy around style of play and you know it's not a million miles different to what Ufi has done of course I think he's put some really really strong foundations in place um, and yeah and then we'll, we've got this criteria and then we'll find people that, that um, we believe um, meet that criteria or the attributes that we want. You kind of hinted at it there but I'd, I'd be interested to know you know obviously the the kind of Phoenix empire has expanded quite a lot since, you know, the early days where we were just, you know, one team, you know, there's an academy structure there. There's men's and women's sides of the club. There's a lot more, um, a lot of change to how the league's structured and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, the possibility of an Auckland side coming in there. Um, could you give us a bit of an idea of, I guess, what those kind of criteria you are looking for out of that coach, you know, is, is there a development focus there? Is there, um, you know, just a, just an on-field criteria? What, what sort of things are you looking at there? Um, you know, okay. So a couple of examples is must know how to work to a budget. So we'll give you a budget. How would you, if you've been given X amount of millions of dollars, how would you split that up into your play? Where would you spend your money? Um, specifically, we would supply. Here's the Phoenix where we are at the moment in terms of where we allocate our dollars. Here's where players are off contract and there are dollars available. How would you spend it? Who would you look for? Certainly, a development focus is absolutely crucial. We haven't invested all of this money into the academy for them people to go. I'm going to go buy, you know, a journeyman, you know, English player or a journeyman Australian player when you've got a perfectly good New Zealand player sitting in the academy. And this is men's and women. So that whatever what I'm talking about here um, is you know, true for both the men's and the women's positions. Um, and then it's got to be the right culture, you know, the philosophy. So you know, someone's you know, all due respect, if you've got to set up like a Jose Mourinho or a or a, or a George Graham from the 70s and 80s when you sit back and defend for, for 85 minutes. That's not really how the Phoenix want to set up. And I, I think the way that Ufi is, is, has sort of set a, a Phoenix way, for want of a better term, which is, you know, strong and attack, you know, you, you look to you look to be, you know, aggressive going forward and then you and you and you defend with passion. I think that looks right. Um, with the ability to be flexible with your game plans as well, right? So you want to be able to play, you know, it's sort of well known that if you play you know, the 4-2-2-2 kind of scenario, which has worked quite well for us this year, but you've got to be flexible when you come up against a team who can nullify that kind of a, of a formation as well. Um, but then there's the cultural part of it. You know, we have started this 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 program, you know, our Tikonga Māori program, where we, uh, you know, which we're committed to. Um, and where we want those values that we're working on and building out with some of our partners to be reflected in the team and and in the way that we conduct ourselves both on and off the field. So that's very important. So who is coming in as the buy into that those concepts as well? And that's I mean I guess that's like three in a way you know at a high level three core key criteria. Um, 
that any on your body coming in has got to fit. But you know, there's lots of nuances to all that sort of stuff as well. And as we sit down and work through these with some of these you know, some of these potential applicants, we'll, we'll tease all that stuff out. I, I want to take you to a slightly um, broader look at football beyond the both within and without the um, uh, boundaries of the Knicks. You've um, there was a press conference you uh, you uh, did that was recorded when the Auckland A League side was floated. Um, you uh, you um, you were quite dubious that it would be uh, as easy to set up as other people con- considered it to be. Um, do you want to give us the brief synopsis of what where the difficulty is? It's it's the finances, right? So, look, we know how much it sucks, how much financial resources this thing sucks up. So the APL is talking about 25 mil just to buy in. So that gets you, it's not a license anymore, it's actually an ownership stake in the APL. So that's 25 million Australian, which is a decent amount of money. Then probably in the first year alone, you're looking at 5 million loss to to get yourself set up. Now, you, you know, Wellnicks have invested many millions of dollars over the last, what is it, 13 years now. Yeah, 12, uh, no, about 11 years, 2011 they came in, 11, 12 years, something like that. Sunk a lot of money into the academy. Now, the academy is is probably a really, a realistically a 10-year investment to start really paying off. That's a lot of money you're putting away to before it even starts to pay off for itself. So even if you go 25 million, then you say 5 million loss in the first year, then maybe one to two for another 10 years, you know, you, you're looking at, at probably somewhere 30 million, 40 million before you even start to get anywhere close to being, we're, we're not breaking even yet. We've been going 12 years since Wellness came in. So I sort of separate out the Terry and the Wellness days. Um, it's hard yakka, right? Now, so the only thing you look at it is you go, is there anyone in New Zealand that has that kind of cash? Maybe, maybe. I don't know them because hopefully they would have looked at us and gone, you know, maybe it's worth investing into them because all the infrastructure plays. And we're extremely lucky with Trentham because that's a $100, $120 million investment there. That There will never be anything like that anywhere in New Zealand ever again. I'm telling you that now. No council will build that. No government of this country is ever going to build anything like that. So the Auckland franchise football club, whatever you want to call it, is going to have to build that, not necessarily that level of infrastructure, but it's going to have to build a level of infrastructure to be competitive within the A-League these days. And there are a lot of very wealthy people in the A-League in Australia who will literally spend twice as much as we do on a squad on the off chance of winning the league, Um, like Western United, with it to hold, to fall over the next year. Now, is there people in that bucket? I don't know. The, the where I do see it potentially having some uh, potential is an international investor, somebody coming in who goes fifty million to them is nothing, and there are people like that in the world. <laughs> no, you know that's not us, obviously, but there are people like that who will drop fifty million and won't blink and go, "Oh, you do this to build a, a, a pathway for my kids out of Asia, out of Europe, out of the United States, and we'll use it as a." as a, um, uh, a part of a city football group type scenario. And they go, you know, because if you look at the MLS franchises, they're selling for 250 million to 500 million now. So 50 million in New Zealand is nothing. And it gives them a pathway. It gives them access into a competition, which is solid. You know, 
Australia and New Zealand are extremely well regarded in terms of financial stability, political stability, um, being you know corruption free. So there's a lot going for it, but it, I just don't see anyone in New Zealand having that that kind of readies. But you roll in some New Zealand uh, financial backers with an international, and yeah, you go okay. But and those are the ones that APL are potentially going after. Do you think the investment that Silver Lake gives the the league some more international prominence than perhaps it would without it? It, do, it does, it does, because Silver Lake don't make investments that aren't going to return make a return on their investment, right? So that, they've gone there, and that would give a level of credibility that any international investor will go, do you know what, if Silver Lake are in, they've done their due diligence, they must say it's worth, it's you know, there's something there. Um, and, yeah, maybe potentially a bit of profile as well. And no doubt, no doubt APL are leveraging that for all their worth to try and get people to invest in both Canberra and in, and in Auckland. So Canberra, to me, might be slightly easier. I mean, the government, ACT government has its own funding, and I don't think they'll put any cash into it, but they're, because of the facilities they own in Canberra, I think they'll do some, some deal there. Um, and Cam, you know, AIS, uh, yeah, AIS is still based in Canberra, so there's probably some facility that you know, the new franchise could probably play out of that. Probably some get... lobby money as well. Yeah, and that's right. And if you look at Canberra Raiders, the rugby league club, there's often a lot of a few international brands, including Huawei, that invest that sponsored that franchise because it was in the nation's capital, and there is advantages to do to doing that. Auckland has obviously the largest as benefits in being the largest metro in New Zealand, big customer, you know, big potential base. But the, the thing that gets me is I'm just not convinced that Mount Smart's going to be, you know, a decent venue for them. We've, you know, we've played Albany and Mount Smart and struggled and struggled to pull a crowd. As soon as we went to Eden Park, you know, we were getting decent numbers. Not so much last couple of years after rebuilding of COVID, but in the first couple of years, you know, 20,000, 15,000, you know, really good numbers. Twice what we were getting at Albany and Mount Smart. So, you know, you look at Auckland and while in terms of being a metro, it does it makes total sense. It's you, you scratch the surface and go, does the stadium exist? Is the is the are the investors there? Um, there's all these sort of components. To, I mean, I, I, personally, I think, you know, it could be quite good for Wellington Phoenix and that there's another football club that people to follow. The derby would be good, no doubt about it. Um, and the media being based in Auckland, you'd hope the media would go, you know, we'll cover Auckland FC, but we'd better cover Wellington Phoenix as well. Because if we're covering Auckland, we'd better give the same amount of media time to Wellington. So, because we struggle. I mean, I don't know if you watch, if you watch the sports news, you know, you get a, they have a lot of rugby. You get, I mean, they had, you know, the Warriors winning a game and all of a sudden they're winning the league again, but they get, they're all over the news. Um, and it's really hard. The Wellington Phoenix is all, the, one right at the end, or the Wellington Phoenix women's one right at the end, or they just mentioned it in passing. The Phoenix one last night, so you know it's it's difficult, you know, to, to to get the media attention that you need. And media, to be honest with you, does a lot of the marketing job for a club because people listen to them whether it's TV news or it's the sports news or it's the online stuff. People, a lot, a lot of people consume your sports that way. You've you've talked about the challenges there, and I think we all appreciate there's some pretty big challenges for uh, for any club to get off the ground in Auckland. And you've kind of hinted at the benefits there, and I remember at the um, the members' night, it was only a few weeks ago, Ufi saying that um, it's his belief that you know expansion into a second team in New Zealand is um, what's needed to help the Phoenix and and the league 
um, take that next step. Is is that something you believe as well that this is this is the right next step for growing, you know, football in New Zealand? Um, it's obviously it obviously comes with some challenges for the Phoenix. There's there's yeah. certainly some short term pain that will um, invariably be felt, but. Is it, a, is it a genuine thing that you guys believe as well, that this is the right step forward for growing the game oh, here? Yeah. I mean, if you're putting New Zealand football hat on, small F, do you know what I mean? You'd go, yeah, probably is because it gives more chances to players. For us, it makes us, it would make our life more difficult, no doubt about that. There will be some pros, like I talk about the, the football coverage would go up, Derby would be interesting. But, you know, there would be inflationary pressure on, on the players' salaries, no doubt about that. There would be commercials would be extremely difficult. I, I think we would find that extremely difficult. But, you know, we still have a very strong proposition down here. So I think, you know, we, we would have to carve out our own piece of the market, but, you know, we'd be competing. There's no doubt about that. And and not just on players, but also on staff, because, they're, you know, no doubt any franchise coming in is going to want to go, we're going to need some IP in this, right? <laughs> So they'll be coming where they're going to come to. The first place they're going to come to is the existing club that has people who have done it all before. And we're going to have to, how do you hold on? It's going to be very difficult to hang on to people, no doubt about that. So all of that's in the mix. Um, it, it'll be great. It'll be great for the football fan in New Zealand. I think that's probably right. But difficult. Yeah, no doubt a doubt. You know, for us, it have been banging away. I mean, you, you know, I keep coming back to the fact that you know, Wellnick stuck in there when they were trying to get rid of us, right? So the Phoenix is flying that flag alone for the last 10 years, 11 years, largely by itself in the face of some pretty strong opposition out of Australia who wanted to get rid of us. And, um, you know, God bless Rob and the Wellnick's guys who, who, who fought through that and we're coming out the other side. <laughs> we come out the other side of that. We come out of, out of three years of COVID and then people are saying, oh, by the way, guys, thanks for doing that. You, 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 you know, Professional football is still alive because of you guys. We're going to roll in another team now to make it give you another challenge. You've got to get over and go, oh, Christ, can we just pro- please just give us a break that we can get break even before you start doing that? Because APL, no doubt, are running around trying to find investors and putting together a proposition on the table that's financially attractive and going, gosh, it would, wouldn't it be nice if they'd done that with us? You know, it helped us find investors, helped us find some commercial. Because part of the proposition around Auckland is they go to the table with a done deal. Here's your stadium. Here's your suite of commercial partners who are coming on. It's a turnkey. It's almost like a turnkey operation, right? Um, and then they just go, here to the investors, here it is. They lay it on the plate. I've never done that for us, either either Football Australia or, or APL and the new guys. And oh, There's very few clubs within the A-League who have never taken a cent out of the central body for subsidies, you know, in terms of trying to save them. We're one of them, and there's, uh, I think there's one other club um, and I was talking to APL the other day about, I can't remember which one it was. Um, we've never taken a cent out. We've always had to survive on our own. Um, and now we get through that and they're going to throw another challenge at us with, with an Auckland franchise. Um, I've got one last big question before we get on to your quick fire round. Um, you, you've kind of mentioned that you the club has felt like it's doing it on its own. It's certainly from the outside, it doesn't look like you've gotten a tremendous amount of help from New Zealand football, uh, large F. Do you think that that uh, new franchise would actually get some support from New Zealand football, large F? Uh, potentially. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there'd be any financial support. 
um, but there might be there could be potentially be support and kind, and that might be part of the deal that APL is stitching together. Is they go well, you know, there's an there's an A uh, an A League um, license, or for want of a better word, going for in Auckland, and it will include these benefits, blah blah blah, and it might have a little bit there of maybe value and kind or some kind of you know support from New Zealand football to get it off the ground. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not part of those conversations, but I, you know I think we've been. We've talked about it ad nauseum how we've tried to work closely, um, and it's just sort of it's it is what it is, right? We we sort of got to that situation where we've gone. We wanted to integrate programs, and maybe New Zealand football has always had in the back of their mind there's an Auckland franchise coming. So the more that we do with Wellington, the more we've got to unravel when Auckland comes on. Maybe they've always had that in their mind. I don't know, but it's a wishful thinking, and again, it's not a done deal. You know, we, we oh, you know, I can remember when when Rob and and Gareth. And I went up to meet with the board of New Zealand Football at that time. They'd been they'd been owners for about three months or something, and they put on a really great presentation. This is Rob and Gareth and myself put on this really solid. This is how we want to work together. And it was Andy Martin at the time, just turned it down flat. And they came. They, I think, um, we were given like an hour, um, and it was you know at the end of one of their meetings and. I looked around the room and half the ex-co were totally disinterested. You know, you could see that something had happened beforehand that they weren't really interested in talking to us. Um, and then I think uh, Andy Martin rang or he sent an email quite a long time later, two, three weeks later, and said, no, we're not we're not interested in all of this. There was all this other stuff, flo- fluffy stuff around it, but there was, they didn't commit to any of it. And I, I honestly think that was a sliding doors moment that, we could have gone down a path similar to what Football Australia did with 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 Lowy at the time, but they, they it didn't end up being anything like that. Um, and so we kind of like we've tried a few times. We've talked to you know a number of people over the years, and you know Gareth Jennings was down here at Trentham and he was blown away and he was excited about integrating programs, but we just can't. I just we've given up trying to get any traction there, and we just kind of are at where we're at now, and we'll do our thing and put one foot in front of the other and try and build the best possible program that we can in, in high performance. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I don't think we'll ever end up stop trying, but it's, it's yeah, we're kind of at that place now where I'm just, we're just, to be honest with you, I'm exhausted by it. I, I just, it's, it's almost heartbreaking when you try and you try and you try and it just, it's like falling on deaf ears. So. I've just got one one last one before we move on too much from the um, the Auckland stuff because I think there'll be some some listeners out there who'll be grumpy if we don't ask. Does does the prospect of an Auckland franchise um, shift the dial at all on the uh, the strategy of taking games to Auckland? You know, does does that move that discussion to other parts of the country, more Wellington games? Um, obviously, yeah. your short term planning is already in place, but what does it do to the long term planning around that? What it does, it makes our commercial problem that much more difficult because Auckland. It wasn't great the last game, but we didn't lose anything on the last game in Auckland, um, whereas we would lose thousands every game we play in Wellington. So at commercial, commercially, comes more difficult. I think we just, again we don't know until we, until it all happens. Is there a proposition to still play at Eden Park against the Auckland team with the Wellington Phoenix home game? Maybe. Again, probably more difficult because the Auckland market is now, I would say, satisfied by the, the football product, right? They go and see their own team. They don't need to see professional football Eden Park being Wellington Phoenix. Uh, look, yes, I think does it open up other centres potentially? 
um, more games than Wellington. Again, sometimes Wellington, we actually just can't even play at Sky. That's what happened this year, right? And Ed Sheeran took out it for an entire month. So you have you can't play away for an entire month. Just you just can't do it. So you have to find some alternatives. I, look, are we ever going to have a situation where we play an entire season in Wellington? I think it's unlikely because all it does is make the financial hole bigger. But you know, does Eden Park now come off the table? Potentially, I, I actually don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But I, I think you're right. It certainly probably becomes more difficult. Cool. Uh, seeing as this, it's getting into the wee, almost the wee small hours and uh, we're all old men, um, Dale excluded. Sorry, Dave. Um, we'll get on to the quick fire round. Uh, just some quick questions around um, what how you felt everything's going. Uh, so with the standalone games for the women uh, women's team this season and also before the men and after the men, what um, what combination works the best? I, I like I personally like the double headers. They, they they're moving away from them in, in Australia and they're, they're taking the women to regional smaller um, training facilities, well, you know, grounds. Um, and the, the obviously the reason is, is commercial because that last standalone game we had at Wellington with the women, you know, oh. The number of tickets we actually sold was in the hundreds. So you can imagine the loss on that one game was enormous. So I don't think Sky, and I've talked to Shane about it, he tried, we tried everything to try and keep the cost down. This is why there wasn't a screen, right? Because the screen's thousands just to switch the screen on. Um, so I talked to Shane. Shane says, look, he's tried everything, trying to do it is what it is, right? So I think we probably have to look at alternative venues for the women for next year, but we, we want them to be good. We don't want them to be, you know, substandard so does that exist in wellington got to go find it um any potential other options that we can look at we're looking at everything um but i still think there's a place for double headers i'd love to do a double header outside wellington whether that's in auckland or in, you know in christchurch or in metrics i think that has real value and i think it's been really good um but yeah I, I think a standalone women's game at sky is going to kill us um so we need to find out alternative venues but what exactly that looks like next year. We, we've just started working on that now. And there's a few things in motion that hopefully will make it um, a good solution for us. Um, what's the likelihood we'll, uh, in that women's team that we'll see um, money spent on import players? Uh, look, if we can get those regs changed, 100%. So, you know, we've, we've identified that, you know, we're probably missing an out-and-out nine, someone that can get you know, 10 goals a season. The reality is, as you look at the way that the team's been playing, they've been playing really good football. Um, and I was really pleased by the game last night against Adelaide. You know, Millie Craig was excellent. Emma Main came on. I thought she was great. I think there are some other players in the, in the academy who could who could step up as well. But I think, you know, a few key roles, a few key positions, most notably a nine, maybe a 10, although I think Betsy's been excellent when she's in that role. Um yeah, I'd like to have, if nothing else, I'd like to have the opportunity to do that. Um, and with these the sort of shackles coming off in terms of number of Kiwi players and number of Australian players that um, we've had, that's been enforced on us this year, but we'll hopefully, and we, we keep asking for these to be clarified, but it's like, you got APL, but the regs are controlled by, by Football Australia. And it's actually Football Australia's decision to make, and we just can't get traction to give it an actual answer. But we're, we're going to, if we can get the regs changed, I think we'll have a serious look at, at, at at least one import. 
Um, the um, 3pm fixtures are kind of something you've tried this year. How have they gone? Not great. <laughs> Not great in terms of, uh, of people in through the gates. Whether that, again, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to differentiate between is it a COVID hangover? Is it people don't want to come to live sports? Or is it just the three pm kickoffs? The problem with the three pm kickoffs it, it is it does clash with what families want to do. So even though people were telling, in fact, we did that piece of research that went out to the members last week, and Saturday three pm came in as the second favourite out of all the times listed, which is incredible really when nobody's turning up for them so we're going to go i don't i don't think seven i don't think 3 p.m saturday is going to work for us um and even sunday it's probably a little bit easier but if we do saturday i would suggest we're probably going to look at a 5 p.m maybe and maybe a seven maybe have another crack at friday nights again it's been a few years i don't want to do a whole lot of friday nights but maybe a couple of friday nights in there as well and yeah, maybe a, a Sunday three and a five. The, 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 we don't want to do a seven on a, on a Sunday for obvious reasons. The issue, of course, is when you submit what you want to do to our APL for the draw, they give you three choices. <laughs> what is your preferred time slot? And you get three cracks at it. And you've got number one is what? We're probably going to go, I don't know, Saturday five. Number two is what? And number three is what? The further you get down, the less likely you are going to have it. So, you know, if you put down Saturday at five, then they're going to go most of your games are going to be Saturday at 5 if that's what you want. If you say, I want Saturday at 5, I want some Sunday at, at 5, I want Sunday, I want a Saturday at 7, and I want a Friday at, at 7, 7.30, they're going to go, well, you can't have all of them. Which ones do you want? Right. So we'll do our best, but it's not um, – and you've got to remember there's going to be 12 clubs all putting all this stuff in, and it goes into this big, massive supercomputer in Canada somewhere, and they try and make sense of it. And you're rolling on top of that stadium availability, and you're rolling on top of that international windows and – when Australian players aren't going to be available because they're going to AFC, North Cups, and all this sort of stuff. It's a nightmare. And in fact, they've started the pro- they've already started the process and they're already starting, telling us now this draw is almost impossible to manipulate because it's so complex these days. We've got one final question. Uh, with the playoff games now scheduled uh, for over the ditch, uh, regardless of who actually gets there, who gets the cash? None. We get nothing. We get nothing. So in the playoff games, it, all our costs are covered, which is a good start. Um, ideally, we want to, I mean, you know, ideally you want to be top four. We can still be top four. But uh, as long as we get top six, we win that first playoff and then we have the home semi. That's what I want. I want the home semi for Wellington for the fans because I think after two and a half years of COVID and everything we've gone through, I think that the fans deserve a playoff game in Wellington. Um but we don't get any cash for it. And in fact, they are still discussing, and I don't think they've come to any conclusion about whether there is a, what's it called, a prize money for winning the grand final, for the grand final only. And there's just not the cash, even within APL, there's not the cash within APL to be able to have a million dollar prize money or anything like that. Um, With the grand final being in Sydney, are there plans in place to assist fans getting there if we qualify? That's what they've promised us. So obviously <laughs> the whole announcement took us all a bit by surprise. And I think they announced it on a Monday and I think I was first informed on about the Thursday beforehand. You didn't really have a time to process what it all meant. Um, but they did say they would put 
on or pre-book. So first things of all, if we're in the grand final, every fan of Wellington Phoenix that wants to go is guaranteed a ticket. That's that, or every member, sorry, every member is guaranteed a ticket. Um, and then they do um, fan pre-sales. And then the idea, what they've said to us, is they would look at charter flights out of Wellington to go to that game. Now, charter flights, it would still cost the fans to be on, but you'd hope that you would fill enough of a plane that it would be decent, you know, 300, 400 people, whatever they take these days, that, you know, that if you're filling a plane, that the, the per-person cost would be quite low, and then accommodation as well. But, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, all that, that hasn't even been tested yet. So, on the, But it has, it, there is a lot of discussion about it amongst the CEOs and on the CEO calls about how, what that actually mean, look like in practice. And I think, and to a certain extent, APL are going, well, let's just cross that bridge when we come to it. Because if you have Wanderers playing Sydney, there's no issues. But as soon as you get a team outside Sydney, all of those fans from that outside of New South Wales zone or state, they'll be going, well, you promised us access to this final. You're going to have to make it happen. There'll be a lot, put it this way, there'll be a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on APL to facilitate fans to get there. Cool. That's the uh, end of the question time. Domi, uh, unless anyone's going to jump up now, going, going, gone. Uh, don't forget David, uh, Domi's double dinger on uh, Saturday, 12.15, the women are playing Melbourne Victory, men at 3pm playing Melbourne Victory also. Uh, get along, make Domi a bit more, a bit happier, get that smile happening. Um, a few less grey hairs would be nice, that would help. Oh, it hasn't helped me Can't at all. Can't hold that back now, Domi, it's <laughs> yeah. happened. Horses bolted for all of us. Uh, Thanks, Domi, for coming on, uh, especially so late at night. Um, We enjoyed it, as always. Uh, Hopefully see you down at the stadium. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. Um, Hope you enjoyed that, and we'll be back next week. Yeah.